Hey, I'm Mike Palmer. I am the pastor of care here at uh, LifePoint. For those of you who I have not met, thank you uh, for being here with us today. And then for you that have joined us online, wherever you are, military bases, college campuses, work maybe, uh, watching us online, thank you guys for joining us. Um, We are in part five of our sermon series called Grow Up. And you've heard some really uh, good sermons from Uh, Joe, he did the first two, and then Brad came and did part three and Mark last week. And I invite you to go back and check out those sermons because there are some really cool connections between the two. And it's been designed just to help us do exactly that, just to grow up uh, in our faith, in our relationships with Jesus Christ, our relationships with one another. And uh, what it has really opened my eyes to is that, and it's just one of those things that's obvious and you just have to have somebody tell you this, is that no matter how far we've grown or how much we've grown in our, in our beliefs, in our faith, there's still some growing to be done, right? And so let's just all keep our minds open and our hearts open to the growth that God wants us to experience. Today, as we close, um, I'm going to talk about growing uh, in community, but specifically from the topic, small group, huge impact. Now, I did say I was a pastor of care, and so, um, you know, I thought... You know, uh, I was going to have to set up shop in the lobby because I know that so many of you here in this area are so upset that Tom Brady's not going to be playing in the Super Bowl (laughs) next week. And I know there's some grief in the room, some sadness. Uh, Just call me and the care team will be on it. We'll pray for you. As a matter of fact, at the end of the service, there's a prayer team that's going to be right there. And, uh, you know, you can huddle in the corner and, um, you know, just pour out your grief to the prayer team about Tom Brady. Um, it was a crazy football season, wasn't it? It really was. It was such an amazing football season. I absolutely loved it. It was so unpredictable. You know, the Rams and the Bengals, for anybody who doesn't know, they're playing in the Super Bowl next week. And even if you gave the Rams a shot, which a lot of people did, they had a decent you know, team, nobody would have guessed that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to be there. Any, any Bengals fans? I mean, is, was there one? Yeah, one. <laughs> and, and I got to say, you know, uh, you know, Joe Pascal was up here and I watched it walking through the hallway. I don't know if anybody you guys have seen the goalposts. But this morning, did you see the helmets that are out there? I mean, it's like all these black helmets. And then there's one New York Giants helmet. Right. And I almost was upset. But then I was like, who's going to be offended that there's a New York Giants helmet, that they're the only ones on the table? And I know I'll hear from my Giants fans uh, after the sermon. But uh, it's been a crazy, crazy football season. It was so uh, unpredictable. There was a lot of uncertainty, but it made for some for, for a really, really exciting season. And I would dare say if you're a gambler, you had a bad year. Uh, so it, but it was so it was so exciting, especially in the playoffs where we learned the names of players we normally don't even uh, pay attention to, like uh, Evan McPherson and Robbie Gold and Harrison Bucker and Matt Gay. And if you don't know these names, these are kickers. That's why you don't know. But in exciting fashion during the playoffs, they came through for their teams and they made it a really, really entertaining playoff uh, season or playoff weekend, two playoff weekends for those of us who just love some good football. And of course, you guys would say that they all had to channel their inner Justin Tucker, right, to do it the way they did it. I'm just trying to win over some Ravens fans today. Um, but it was really exciting. But it was this unpredictability. 
It was this um, uncertainty all year long and the excitement that also shined the light on the importance of, of, of some smaller groups or smaller teams within the big team that are called special teams. Now, if you've ever watched football or been to a game, you've seen the special teams. You may not have known what they were called, but these are the guys that are on the field uh, during kickoffs, punts, extra points, and field goals. Those are your special teams. And one of the things that these special teams do, one of the things they're responsible for, is establishing, establishing good field position for their team. In other words, they want to play in such a way that they put their team in a position on the field that gives them an advantage over the other team. And so the better the special teams perform, the better chance the greater team has of being successful. So what we saw in the playoffs is that the smaller, these smaller special teams have a huge impact on the success of the larger team that they represent. And so, what I, and so they, they have a huge impact on the team. The other thing I learned about special teams is that they have a huge impact on the success of the individual players. There's a guy um, that I met. Uh, his name, uh, some of you may know him. He's a former Ravens linebacker. His name is Albert McClellan. Uh, Albert McClellan, I got a chance to know him when our children were in school together. And it was really cool getting to know him and his story because he has a story of perseverance. And he spoke to me about special teams because he came out of Marshall. And I don't know if Kyle Ramser is here anywhere, but Kyle actually, I learned this after I got here. If anybody knows Kyle, he actually played college football with, with McClellan at Marshall University. And so he played there. He was an undrafted free agent, meaning nobody picked him up. Uh, and then he got a chance to play with the Baltimore Ravens. And his way to prove himself was to play hard on special teams. And he did. He played hard. He worked hard. He studied hard. And then he further developed his skills physically, mentally, intellectually. And then in 2012, because of an injury, he got a shot to get on the field and he never looked back. Unfortunately for me, 2012 was a year that the Ravens beat my San Francisco 49ers. The pastor of care is going to need some care. I mean, and who clapped? Let me just talk to the folks at home. I'm not getting any cooperation in the room right now for my 49ers. Um, but anyway, I learned a lot about his story and in that Special teams, and he, he learned, and this was a guy, I mean, you talk about taking advantage of opportunity. He ended up on the practice field, in the locker room, in the huddle, on the field with guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs. You talk about God putting you in a place to learn from some of the best. And he took full advantage of the knowledge he was gaining and the little tricks of the trade. And he became a, a pretty good player, uh, had a good season, I mean, a good career, and, and no longer is playing. He ended up, of all places, going to New England for a little bit. Uh, from Baltimore. Isn't that strange? And then New York. But great guy. And he's a believer. I should say that he and his family are believers, Christians, and we really had some good conversations. But one of the things I did learn from him just by asking about special teams is that uh, these teams within a larger team, they actually do two things, that they enhance the production and success of the larger body. But then they also provide space for individual growth. They provide a space for players to further develop their specific gifts and, and open doors for them to thrive in places where others may not have believed. And maybe then maybe they didn't believe that they could flourish. And likewise, here as a church body, we, too, want to grow 
and successful. We want to grow productively and successfully as a larger team, as a larger body. But we also, like them, want to provide space for individual growth. Space where each of us can further develop our spiritual gifts, space where uh, that that will better prepare us to thrive in places and serve in ways that others and maybe we ourselves didn't believe we could flourish and space we can give that will give us the knowledge, the confidence and the support that we need to fulfill the great commission of Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples and to fulfill our own mission of influencing people to find and follow Jesus. And so with this in mind, with these two things in mind, you know, wanting to be productive and successful as a large body, wanting to provide space uh, for people to grow individually. I want to invite you into a moment in history in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts that speaks to this idea uh, of the biblical importance and even the necessity of providing and participating in small groups that make a huge impact on both our community and our individual growth. So Acts 6, the first uh, seven verses says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, would it be right, would it not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables? Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy, uh, full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch a convert to Judaism. Let me stop there and tell you, whenever you run into a bunch of names like that, pronounce them as best you can and just keep on moving because, <laughs> because nobody really knows exactly how to pronounce all these names. I just did what my books told me to do. I put marks in there and everything. But anyway, these guys, they presented these men to the apostles. That's one of those teachable moments right there. Um, teaching moments. They, 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 they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, many of us come from a number of different church backgrounds. And depending on your background, especially if you're like mine, if your background is like mine, you've really only heard this passage of scripture when there was something to be said or something to be gained uh, about the ministry of deacons, right? I mean, forever. And even as a pastor, I dealt with this as a means of speaking into and about the ministry of deacons. Now, while the calling of these men, these servants is believed to be the beginning of that ministry, what I'd like for you to do today is to focus on them as a small group who made a huge impact on the growth of the church and those within the group. And I ask this because, um, you know, that we see them as a small group because I know from experience that uh, there's a lot of learning and a lot of humility that is lost uh, when we immediately elevate these guys to positions of status, uh, when there is so much to be gained by simply seeing them as servants. 
And so I want us today just look at them as servants because that's what deacons are. They're actually servants. And so just look at them in that way because I don't want anybody to get locked in the hay. He's just talking about deacons. No. So let me, with that in mind, let me paint this picture for us of what's kind of happening here uh, in these first seven verses. So the church is having a problem. The church is growing first. It says in these, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So the church is growing. And then the church's growth actually presents a problem because now uh, there is a problem with the distribution of food. They're Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. Now, there's no evidence at all that it was an intentional oversight on behalf of the leadership. What I think has happened here as I read it is that it was a classic case of a problem that caused leadership to realize that their organizational growth was outpacing their current human resources. That was it. The, 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 the body was growing and they had not put the human resources in place to take care of something until the problem arose. And now they're going to put people in place. And so they addressed the problem in verse three by talking about choosing seven men among you. And they give this responsibility over to them. And so here we have this rapidly growing church with thousands of Jesus followers that has officially established and commissioned a small group of believers to assist with what some may see as a relatively simple assignment. The larger church has now created a small group to help take care of something so the church can continue to grow. That's pretty much what we're seeing in these seven verses of Acts chapter six. But this group was making so much more of an impact on the growth of the church and individuals that they may have uh, initially been aware of themselves. And likewise, our small groups make such a big impact, a bigger impact. And, and how many of you should I just take a poll? Who's in small groups now? Yeah. You know from experience that small groups you guys are making, and maybe you don't, but let me tell you uh, that you are making a bigger impact on the greater body than you can ever imagine simply by being the group that you are. And we thank you for that. But let me tell you a little bit about two things. Uh, The impact uh, that this group has on the growth of the church and the impact that the group has on individual believers. First, let's talk about the church. Let's go back to verse one in chapter six. Because it says there that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, dot, you know, dot, 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 you know. Uh, So here we see that the church is increasing. Evidence of that can be found in chapter two, verse 41, where it says about 3000 were added to their number that day. And then in chapter four, verse four, the number of men who believed grew to about 5000. That's just men alone. Can you imagine all the families they had, family members? So there's. There are thousands of people who are joining the first church. It is growing. And in that first verse, it says in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And it's really easy to get excited about numbers, especially when it comes to church growth. Right. And that's okay. We love numbers. We're good with that. Um, Don't anybody tell you that it's completely bad to get caught up in numbers. They just can't be the thing, the main thing. We just need to keep in mind how at least in the first church, how those numbers came to be. And so if you have, you know, your Bible, I I forgot to make a slide for this, but in chapter two, verse 47, and you can go back and look at it later. There's something interesting that the Bible says, and this is after chapter two, you know, at the end of chapter two, you see people gathering together. You really see the church people getting together and fellowship and things like that. And at the very end, the last thing that that little uh, that chapter says is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now, one of the contributors to a book that I look at, a commentary that I use, put it this way when he was explaining that people were being added to the number daily. He said the rhythm of this community is that it is both growing day by day and worshiping day by day. And so when we get to chapter six and we read that the number of disciples was increasing, of course, our eyes and our minds are drawn to this number of disciples. But what's really in play here is not just the numbers, but the day by day commitment, the day by day prayer, the day by day worshiping, the day by day fellowshipping, the day by day breaking of bread, the day by day conversations, all that contribute to the day by day growth the church was experiencing. And so this small group by gladly coming alongside the church by taking on this day by day service to the community, because remember, it was the daily distribution of food that they were dealing with. They allowed the 12 to continue day by day, giving their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the evidence of this huge impact made by the small group of believers found in verse seven, where it says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. And here it is. I just want to remind you or even tell you for the first time that it is in the day by day. Numbers don't automatically come. Numbers come because we have we are participating. We are partnering with Jesus Christ and with our church family to do the day by day work that will grow the church of Jesus Christ. It is proven in the Bible. But it has to be day by day. There should not be. And this is my belief, putting all this stuff together when we talk about Matthew 28, which is one of my favorite verses or favorite passages. When we talk about going and making disciples, there should not be a day where at least one of us is not making a disciple day by day by day. We've got to do it. There should not be a day missed. And so this day by day ministry of our small groups is appreciated because in addition to your service, your care, your studying of the word, you come alongside the greater body. You come alongside the greater church body to enhance our spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples for him day by day by day. When it comes to small groups, one of the things that I really uh, appreciate and gr- I grew to appreciate it even more when I got here was the care that groups provide for members of and families within their group. Now, there are, there are groups that care for people outside of their groups. Don't get me wrong. But what we've experienced on a few occasions already in the short time I've been here is that and I, I me and Teresa and others, we're part of the care team. We're ready to take care of things when people are sick or people die. But there have been a number of occasions where we really didn't have to do much because the small groups got involved. The small groups took care of the person. Small groups took care of the family. Amen. And that is a big deal because what it does is you guys have and it wasn't that you had to come up with, have a meeting about it. It was instinctive because of the relationships you were already in. There was nothing else you knew to do except to care for the people in your group when they needed care. And what you did in that moment was you freed us up to direct our care somewhere else. Even, you know, we weren't going to dismiss our responsibilities to you, but also we were able to just kind of focus our care somewhere else for somebody who wasn't in a group that wasn't getting the care that that person was getting. So thank you, small groups, for helping us to do what we do best. And so there's a huge impact on the greater body that comes from being in a small group. But also there's a there's a huge impact on the growth 
of individual believers. From day one of this series, you've seen this slide that says it's normal for living things to grow if they are nourished. Joe talked about that the first couple of weeks. Mark brought it back to us last week. And it is something that we should remember that it's normal for living things to grow. But Joe added to it if they are nourished. And there is this nourishing that takes place that has to take place for us to grow in the way that God wants us to grow. The proper nourishment that is needed to become a stronger believer. And like I said earlier, when it comes to growing, you just it's just about growing from the point that you are. You don't have to start over. Just ask God to begin growing you from where you are. And it takes that nourishment. And that nourishment comes from other believers in large part. It comes from relationships in small groups. It comes from praying with each other and studying in small groups. In Acts chapter 5, um, we, I mean, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, we see that there is this group of guys whose names I'm not going to pronounce again. Because it's on another page. I'd have to flip back to my my marks and everything. But in that group, you see a guy by the name of Philip. And Philip became a member of this small group. And I just want to point out a little bit about Philip to um, to just, um, you know, uh, explain this idea of the impact that uh, small groups have on individual believers. Because in addition to distributing food to the widows, When you look at this group, that's what they were commissioned to do. But in addition to distributing this food daily to make sure everybody was treated fairly, uh, it can be inferred that this small group would have engaged in prayer and, you know, studying of the word and things of that nature. Because the spirit of wisdom and or the spirit and the wisdom mentioned in verse three that brought them together would have certainly aided their becoming a stronger group. It would have also led each of them to grow stronger in their individual faith and in their relationships with Jesus Christ. He's in this group and they are uh, taking care of the community. They're growing with one another. And then not long after they get together and it says, you know, in, in verse seven, how how impactful their uh, their existence, their work, their service was to the greater body. Everything was growing all of a sudden. Stephen, who takes the lead of the group, is stoned for doing the right thing. He speaks up for Christ and he is stoned in verse in chapter seven, if you just want to look at it. And then after he is stoned, we get to chapter eight and we uh, Philip is brought back into the story. And I'll bring back Stephen stoning in just a minute. Just need you to know that he's dead now. And then Stephen or Philip is brought back into the story. He's mentioned again uh, when the great persecution breaks out against the church on the same day as Stephen's death. And what we learn about him is that he goes to Samaria and he helps bring great joy to the people there. He goes to the place in John chapter four where Jesus meets the woman at the well and she and other Samaritans become believers. He goes to a place uh, that Jesus names back in Acts chapter one uh, where his apostles are to be witnesses for him. He goes to a place and he brings joy to people who are not like him. And when we look at Philip's journey, I just love, I really love the fact that I didn't see this before. 
And I just love learning new things. Because when you look at Philip's journey, because not only did he go to Samaria and he's bringing great joy to the city, but you get to uh, chapter eight. And I'll mention that in a little bit. But there's him and uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, If you look at Philip's journey, he's not much different than a lot of us. Because we pick up his journey when he's asked to be a part of this small group. But he would have to have been a part of the church before he became a part of the small group. Choose seven men among you. And so he was in the crowd. He was full of spirit, the spirit and wisdom. So I would say he was an active member of the crowd. And then one day he was asked to and willingly accepted a role in a small group. So now he's no longer just part of the crowd. He's now part of a small group. And he's still meeting with the crowd, but he has another responsibility as a member of a small group. And even though he's full of the spirit and wisdom, you watch some growth occur in Philip. Because I believe that Philip and the rest of those guys would have had to have grown through the grief of watching one of their own die. Because Stephen is now dead. They were a group who were working and serving in the church. And now they've lost one of their own. Growth happens there. Because after that happens on the same day when persecution breaks out, now his brother is dead. It says that he goes and he continues to spread the word of God in Samaria. And it even says at one point that he goes and he's proclaiming the Messiah. And uh, because of what he's doing, the signs and things like that, that, you know, there are shrieks and, and, you know, things are coming out of people. And wait a minute, this guy was a member of the church and then he was full of spirit and wisdom. And now he's doing these other things. He's grown. And then as he moves on now in Acts chapter eight, one of my favorite stories And you probably heard me say one of my favorite stories because there are a lot of favorite stories I have in the Bible, like a lot of you guys. So if I say that, just don't call me on it. You said that other thing was your favorite story. No, just one of my favorite stories. But Acts chapter eight, verses 26 uh, through 40. There's a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm not this is a whole sermon in and of itself. So I'm not going to go into it um, a lot. But this is what I like for you to do, because now he was in the crowd. He's part of a small group. He loses a friend. He grows through the grief. He starts doing even more than he was doing in the distribution of food. He has grown to the point that now he's proclaiming publicly the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And now in, 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 in addition to proclaiming it publicly, now he's doing something that terrifies a lot of us. He's got to go talk to somebody one on one about the Bible. And that's where it gets sticky for a lot of us. That's where it gets tricky because we know that's something that God wants us to do. We know that Jesus said, go and make disciples. And I'm only speaking from experience because I've been there where it terrified me. I could do everything else because I could do it in a group, but it terrified me to talk to people about Jesus one-on-one, not because of who they were, but because of who I thought I was not. Because I believed that I wasn't good enough. I believed that they were going to see the real me if I started talking about Jesus, that they may call me on my own stuff. Because I knew how much of a sinner I was and how much I still am. 
But Philip teaches us that as we come from the crowd to the group and as we grow in the group through both the good and the bad, and as we get more involved in publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ, that through all of that, he's also preparing us to go one on one with people. And I believe if you, when you read this story, you'll see how attentive Philip is to the voice of God, because God is the one who sends him to the guy in the first place. And we've got to be attentive to the voice of God. And what I do believe is that God will never put you in the company of somebody that he has not equipped you to minister to. And so when God puts you in that space, you've just got to rely on him and trust that he has equipped you through the, 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 your time in the crowd, through your time in the small group, through your time during persecution, through your time during the loss of a loved one, a friend, a partner, whoever it is. But God has already prepared you for that, just like he prepared Philip. And that is the responsibility of everybody. It starts with the big group, gets to the small group, and through the small group, he ends up being equipped to go do the one thing that Jesus told us we all need to do, and that is make disciples. And so I want to encourage you to come out of the crowd and take that step into a small group. Take that step into an intimate setting of believers where you can ask the questions that you've been wanting to ask. The questions that you may have even been afraid to ask in a setting of people who are going to be not only willing to answer your questions, but also have those questions themselves. Because whatever question you have, you are not the only one in here who has that question. There are so many people who do. And so I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you also just for a little homework. Read that. Read that passage of scripture in in uh, chapter eight, 26 through 40. And just watch how Philip. Handles that moment with that Ethiopian eunuch. Watch how attentive he is to the word of to, to the voice of God. Watch how patient he is with a guy who just wants to understand what the word means. And then watch how he moves on once he's done what God has sent him to do. Joe's going to come back. Joe Pascal is going to come back and he's going to talk to you a little bit more about joining groups and, and what you can do. But I just want to encourage you, if you don't do it today, just pray about getting in a small group, leading a small group, um, because it's it's. It's so important to the growth the stability, the success of the body. Just like those special teams, we have our own special teams who enhance the work of the greater body, but also provide space for individual growth. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for learning. We thank you for just opening our eyes to things that, um, you know, that sometimes we just don't see um, and just we're just so thankful for just having a church body to call our family, a church to call our home. And I just pray, God, that as we continue to grow, that we will find an intimate group of believers, a small group, a special team 
to join with so that we too can grow individually and also help our church grow as our church in turn helps the church grow. And so speak into our hearts now individually. Lead us to the place that you want us to be. Lead us to the people you want us to be with. And help us to become better at who it is you want us to be and what it is you want us to do in making disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.